Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 43. I am Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are continuing our build-up for the release of Toy Story 4. Going to review Toy Story 2 this week. Admittedly, this is not a movie that I have seen that many times because we didn't own it on VHS um, or DVD. So I'm kind of excited to go back and revisit this one. Same. I remember seeing this in theaters, and I remember when they announced that they were doing a second one. I remember the buzz around it, and people were really excited. Um, but this is one that I don't often revisit, so I'm excited to talk about it. Right. I think we just get into it at this point. Okay, let's do it. This time, we drop in on the gang, and Andy is about to take Woody to a weekend cowboy camp. Just before they're about to leave, Andy squeezes in some last-minute playtime and accidentally rips Woody's arm, causing Andy's mother to shelf him. Woody is afraid that this might be it, and his worst fear will come true, that Andy will no longer want to play with a broken toy, much like the fate of Wheezy, a penguin whose squeaker is broken, sentencing him to life on the shelf. The next morning, Andy's mother comes in and takes a collection for the yard sale she's having that day. She finds Wheezy and puts him in the donation box. Immediately, Woody sets out on a rescue mission with the help of Buster, the family dog who he has befriended. Woody saves Wheezy, who rides back into the house on Buster, but accidentally gets bucked off and picked up by Al, a toy collector who recognizes Woody and is very interested in adding him to his collection. Andy's mother realizes the mistake and tells Al that Woody is not for sale and locks Woody in the cash box. Al creates a diversion and steals Woody and Buzz immediately goes after him. Unable to make the save, Buzz sets out to figure where they are headed. Decoding Al's license plate, Buzz figures out that Woody has been taken to Al's Toyborn, who he recognizes from a TV commercial. Buzz sets out on a rescue mission with Rex, Ham, and Potato Head to save Woody. Al has taken Woody back to his condo and locks him in a glass case. As soon as Al leaves the room, Woody begins looking for an escape route and finds out he is not alone. He meets Bullseye the Horse, Jesse the Cowgirl, and the Prospector, a.k.a. Stinky Pete, who explain to him they make up the collection of Woody's Roundup, a 1950s black-and-white television show of which Woody was the star. They explain that Al has taken him so he now has a complete set to sell to a Japanese buyer, who will put them on display in a museum where people can come and admire them forever. Though Woody is enjoying reliving his glory days, he still wants to get back to Andy, which would mean the rest of the roundup would go back into storage. Al returns and, in his excitement, rips Woody's arm off completely, which makes it very difficult for Woody to escape in addition to the guilt trip he's been given. That night, Al falls asleep with the arm in his pocket, and Woody is able to retrieve it with some help from Bullseye. But his plan is foiled when the volume is raised on Al's television, waking him up. Jessie is caught with the television remote in front of her, and we learn that the real reason she doesn't want to go back into storage is because she once belonged to a girl named Emily who outgrew her. Stinky Pete exploits Woody's fear of the same happening to him, especially since Andy broke him, and convinces Woody to go to Japan. Meanwhile, across the street at Al's toy barn, Woody's rescue mission is underway. While looking for Woody, Buzz gets separated and finds his aisle in the toy store and is very interested in a new utility belt. While trying to take it from the display, now bear with me here, this is where it gets confusing, Space Ranger Buzz thinks Andy's Buzz has broken rank and shoves him back in his box, complete with plastic twisty ties. Space Ranger Buzz then joins the rest of the group, thinking that they are leading him to save Woody from Zerg. They find Al's work bag in his office and jump in so that Al will lead them to Woody, which he does, returning to his condo across the street. 
Just in time, Andy's buzz has managed to escape his packing and follow suit. As a means to leaving the toy barn, he knocks over a bunch of boxes, accidentally freeing Zerg. Space Ranger Buzz leads the gang up the elevator shaft to Woody, and when they forcefully try to take him, Woody refuses and explains who he is and why he wants to go to Japan. Andy's Buzz then shows up reminding Woody who he really is, but doesn't force him to go when he doesn't want to. The rescue mission leaves to make sure that they are home when Andy returns from camp. Woody puts on an episode of The Roundup, and after seeing a boy play with him on the show, he changes his mind and wants to go back to Andy. He calls out to Buzz to wait for him and asks the rest of the Roundup gang to come home with him. Stinky Pete, who has spent his whole existence in a box and has never been played with, is adamant about going to Japan and thwarts Woody's escape again, revealing that he was the one who woke Al but framed Jesse. Al returns, packs them up, and leaves for the airport. Andy's toys plus Space Ranger Buzz pursue Al, but are stopped by the evil Emperor Zerg, who reveals that he is actually Buzz's father. Rex, who wasn't able to take down Zerg in a video game, saves Space Ranger Buzz by knocking Zerg down the elevator shaft. Zerg survives the fall, and Space Ranger Buzz stays behind to rekindle his relationship with his father. Andy's toys commandeer a Pizza Planet car to the airport, where they save Woody from Stinky Pete on a baggage conveyor belt. They send the prospector off in a backpack belonging to a little girl, so he will finally know what it is like to be played with and convince Jesse to come home with them. As they try to leave, the case containing Jesse is loaded onto a plane and Woody, Buzz, and Bullseye go to save her before takeoff. Using a trick from their roundup days, they are able to make it back to the tarmac before wheels up and everyone is able to get home to Andy before he gets back from cowboy camp. I think the thing that stands out immediately about this movie is the role reversals from top to bottom. Yes. Okay? You've got, obviously, the biggest role reversal here when you compare it to the first film is Woody being a national phenomenon that everybody wants to play with, which was something that was Buzz Lightyear driven in the first film. Let's also not forget now that you have Buzz Lightyear interacting with the Space Ranger Buzz, and Space Ranger Buzz is literally a mirror image of what Buzz was in the first movie, and I love how tongue-in-cheek it gets when Buzz is like, I wasn't really this annoying, was I? So, uh, you know, and, and what, what was impressive about that, especially, and even to an extent with um, the role reversal of him having that original Buzz Lightyear role, is that this movie really stood a chance to just feel like a retread of the first, but it's all done in its own unique way. So it, is, it really is a completely different film. I think you really just hit the nail on the head there because you're right. There was the potential for this to seem really repetitive, but because of those role reversals, those were some really, really smart choices that makes this a really strong sequel, I think. Um, Yeah, I I think um, the idea of Woody's Roundup, I think, is just brilliant. They capture the era of what the show was in the 50s for a black and white show. It, it pulled, I think, you know, from like Howdy Doody yeah. and Mr. Ed and all those kind of things. Um, so I think that they did a really good job of that. Um, and it also reinforces the whole theme of what Woody is afraid of, and that's growing up. Um, you know, and it adds a different facet to these toys now and showing, you know, as an adult you can still have toys, but they become collectibles. Um, So I think that that was 
a really smart choice to kind of pit these characters facing, you know, do I stay with what's comfortable or, or can I live forever in some museum? Um, but yeah, most of all, I love that they flipped the script with Woody's Roundup and he's got a similar backstory where he was like a super famous toy. Um, but now he's deluded and Buzz is the one who has to bring him back to reality. What I wish that they would have eventually built on, and maybe they'll do it in the fourth film, is that now we know that Woody was a toy from, you know, we believe it was from the 1950s. And there's a little throwaway line, and you kind of miss it upon your first viewing, maybe even your second viewing, when Al is talking to Andy's mom at the yard sale, and he's trying to buy Woody off of her after she says, no, he shouldn't be in here, this is a mistake. She goes, this is an old family toy. Right. And I like the fact that they establish that he's an heirloom, but they never do anything with it after that. Not in this film, not in the third film. Well, you know the whole rumor, right? There's one of those like great Pixar articles of how there's all these different Easter eggs, and the rumor is that Jesse belonged to Andy's mom. And right. that she's, she's Emily, because we don't know her name. Right, right. Um, speaking of Andy's mom, can we talk about how she's temporarily lost her mind? Okay. Because this was one of those things in the dialogue that really stood out to me from the very beginning is that when she's trying to wrangle Andy up to go to camp, she's like, come on, Molly's in the car. Molly's like barely walking at this point. I really hope you cracked a window for her or something. Considering it's the summertime, yes. I'm saying, I, like, I really was like, nobody... Nobody caught that over at Disney before they put something like this out. Yeah, they could have just as easily had her calling to Andy through the bedroom window. Exactly. Um, but that's the other thing where she temporarily loses her mind is that she put Woody up on a shelf. So we have to have Woody get up to that shelf. Um, and she's the one who does it. But I was like, that's your child's favorite toy. Like, I mean, I know Andy's back and forth between the cowboy thing and the astronaut thing and he's got two different interests but like if that were my mother and my favorite toy broke it would be okay you know calling both sets of grandparents to sneak down to the store and find a replacement and if you can't get said grandparents to get me out of the house so she can fix the toy right that would have never flown in my home i yeah i i agree i think that that probably would have been the same thing that would have happened in my in fact it was i broke an egon action figure that i had oh yeah and my mom basically went out literally that afternoon and bought me a new one and funny story we were at again i've talked on this show before about how i remember things that make no sense um i ended up having three of these egons the first one broke the second one i had for about 20 minutes she gave it to me i was playing with it in the back of the car and we went to the car wash and um that's when you could ride through and you only do the exterior oh yeah and you go in and it gets really dark i dropped egon in the car oh no in such a way that he broke again <laughs> so my mother had to turn around and go back to toys or, or toys or us and we just swapped it out and got another one immediately that i mean I'm glad that you were able to swap it out because that's not a far fall. 
Well, the you thing dropped was, it in a car. It's not like you were like getting in the car and it, it slammed into the concrete. Anybody that had these real Ghostbuster toys will remember that if you squeezed, they all did something different. If you squeezed Egon's legs, like his ears would pop out and his jaw would drop and his eyes would get really wide. And he had a necktie that would flip up and down. I remember The necktie those. snapped. Oh, oh! Because I dropped it, and that's it was like the most poor planning. Well, that's the thing. It was on like, the part of the toy maker, it was like the most flimsy piece of garbage part on on a toy that I still have to this day, mind you. And we'll talk about that when we get to the whole Jesse backstory. Um, but yeah, the same thing would have happened in my home. Speaking of familiar toys, um, I love the whole concept of Toy Barn and how. It takes, you know, this is one of those things that they did so brilliantly is that it takes the familiarity of Toy Story 1 and it elevates it because now you're putting them, you know, you're still in the world and it's still a world of toys, but now you're pulling from different things that we really recognize. You know, it's not yeah. just like the Etch-A-Sketch and the RC Racer. Like, you've got an entire Barbie aisle, which I thought was hysterical, the way they used it. Not only that you put Barbie in the movie, but um, how, you know, it, it, they're like a bunch of single guys except for Mr. Potato Head cruising around. I thought that was hysterical. Yeah, I'm a married spot. I'm a married spot. Yeah, that, and that's where you throw to the adults a little bit. That entire scene will never not be funny. And, fun fact, Jody Benson was yes. the voice of Barbie. Yes. I love that they, uh, you know, Pixar is really great with the Easter eggs, but I'm glad that they really started to uh, drop things in like that. She was both Barbies. She was tour guide Barbie, and then she's the one uh, at the end. Amy, I want to say. She's an artist. She's an artist. Exactly right. Um, it was a great comeuppance. Yes. And I liked the uh, nod to Jurassic Park in that scene as well. Yes. With with Rex going chasing after the, the car, chasing down. the car, and you see it in the um, in the rearview mirror. That was perfect. Really well done. Yeah, and and not just speaking of Jurassic Park, um, we're getting a little bit ahead here. But the introduction of Al, he's Wayne Knight, who we all know from Jurassic Park, and he's kind of in a similar vein of that guy that's like always scheming about something, always after money, and he's just kind of like that that bumbling henchman. He, he's but Ra he's so great. He's Ralph Cramden. Always scheming, but not smart enough to actually pull his schemes off. Yeah, he's his own worst enemy. He, yeah. he always constantly foils himself. Yeah, Wayne Knight was perfect in this role. Um, let's talk about um, some more of the settings. Let's dial back a little bit. And some other things that happened earlier on in the film. Um, yeah, let's actually... Can we start at the very beginning with the video game? Yes, we can. Um, clearly, they modeled the console and the controller after the Super NES. Yes, I loved that. I love it, but that in conjunction with um, the video game guide that Rex gets at the um, at Al's Toy Barn. Yes, I will say it does make the f the film feel a bit dated. I mean. First of all, I love that they did the Super NES control because that's unmistakable. It didn't have the Nintendo logo, so I'm guessing they didn't get the rights, which in a way is great because Nintendo is now going to Universal. So kudos. Good looking out on that. Yeah. Um, but the controller is unmistakable. You know that it's for uh, Super NES. So I'm kind of glad, though. You're right. It does date it a little bit, but 
I'm glad that we have a context as to when this is all taking place. And I am curious to see if that plays into Toy Story 4 and what they're doing now. Because they waited so long between 2 and 3 to do the sequel that it gave, if we're going in real time, it gave Andy enough time to grow up. So it was really smart that he's going off to college. But I'm wondering now um, if if they're going to parallel real time and play to how kids are now obsessed with technology and smartphones. And yes, gaming is still very big, but not on a dated console like that. Although I still use mine. Mine still works. And I still have the best money my parents ever spent. I still have, I have every video game system I have ever owned and they all still work. I have the 8-bit Nintendo. I have the Super NES. I have the Nintendo 64. I have the original PlayStation. I have the PS2. I have the PS4. I have the original Xbox 360. I have You're everything. part of the problem. What do you mean I'm part of the problem? <laughs> you have a lot of... Con- this is what I'm talking about. I'm wondering if they're going to play to kids being so technology obsessed. And now you're sitting here listening. You have almost every console that's ever come out. Yeah, but they force you to do this. No, it's true. They do. They force you to do this because inevitably, oh, and we have the Nintendo Switch and the Wii. Yes. Um, inevitably, they oh, just Oh, now stop. I get dragged into this. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Now I'm <laughs> speaking French. It's a Wii now. Um, they start cycling things out so that they force you to spend $400 on a new system. Oh, sure. This is just how it is. And they don't make them like that anymore. I mean, it's good that you've taken care of yours, but yeah, I don't think anything is built to last the way that the NES does. No. Definitely um, not. Circling back to the video game, I like that they fake out the audience thinking that you're either it's some sort of buzz television show or that he's actually on a mission. Um, but I almost wish that they faked us out in a sense that the video game wasn't so sharp and so clear. And you're looking at it and you're almost questioning, like, is it the animation style? And are they doing something completely different? Like, I almost wish they would have knocked it down to like an 8-bit or something. Yeah, I I think it just would have been a little jarring. And the th- if they're trying to throw you off, as soon as you see it 8-bit, you know it's not real. That's true. That's so they, true. And for, they, I mean, we got enough of that in Wreck-It Ralph. Right. So for the purposes of the story and that fake-out, you kind of need it. Um, I love Buster. And I think... Oh, so well done. I think Catherine from Detour to Neverland had her... Uh, or had him on her list when we did the top Disney dogs. I believe so. If he wasn't on the top five of her list, then certainly he was one of the honorable mentions. Um, but I forget, because as I said, I, I really admittedly have not watched this movie an awful lot. I forget not only how impressive the animation is, yes, but how much fun Buster is as a character. And I love the fact that he has a relationship with the toys where he actually helps them with their schemes and communicates with them. Yeah, I love that they let him in on the secret. I mean, obviously Buster can't talk, so who is he going to tell? And it's great that Woody has more control over him than Andy does. Yeah. I thought that was a really smart choice. And then like his relationship with Slinky Dog, bark, bark. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, It was really good. Um, And... The yard sale protocol might be better than the birthday and Christmas protocol where they do the roll call because they start to panic knowing somebody 
if not multiple toys are getting taken out of that room. Yeah, I love that they always have a plan in place. And I love that they threw to the Green, green Army men again. Um, that was all really great. But yeah, it, it just, it keeps the structure of everything. And I also like that it kind of reinforces that Woody's still the leader because he's always the one so concerned with, are we being replaced? Are we being thrown out? Or, you know, what's going to happen to us? And he's very concerned with the fate of that room. Um, what I really like that they did with the yard sale was um, the introduction of Wheezy. Um, because initially what was supposed to happen, uh, they removed the scene that Rex accidentally knocks Woody out of the window. And that's how he ends up in the box for Al to come and find eventually. Um, I think that's a little contrived. Um and also that that's one of those instances where like you were talking about before is we feel like we would we would have felt like we saw it already because that's how Woody gets Buzz out of the picture yeah. in the first one. Um, so instead they have Andy's crazy mother shelf Woody um, and you know, it reinforces that theme of the growing pains because Woody uh, Wheezy's squeaker was broken and that's how he ended up on the shelf. And, you know, he's never to be found again. And let's not forget that Andy's mom told Andy, who apparently was very distraught when Wheezy's uh, squeaker broke, that she was going to get a new squeaker for him and instead shoved him behind books on a shelf and then tried to pawn him off for a quarter at a yard sale. I think she's Emily. This reeks of Emily. It kind of does. It sort of does. Um... But yeah, I, Lori I've... Metcalf has brought <laughs> evil to this character. <laughs> Sheldon's mom has brought evil to this character. Oh, that's my. I loved Roseanne, but that is my favorite Lori Metcalf role. Yeah, so brilliant. Um, but yeah, no, and it also it reinforces that Woody still needs to be the hero because what does he do immediately? He he gets on Buster and he's like, "We gotta save him." Yeah. Um. Let's talk about when Woody gets stolen. Um, I would have made a slight change to this scene. Let's hear it. Okay, let me explain why. Al is shown on TV. He shows his face on television. It is presumed that in the Tri-County area, he is a person who is noteworthy. Because he's out in the public eye. True. They do plant Tri-County a lot. Um, another case for Emily's mother because I, or Emily uh, being Andy's mother, because when she donates Jesse, it's a Tri-County truck. So she clearly lives in the area. And that's maybe where they moved back to. Mm. Bum, bum, bum. All right. Anyway, yes. But it's just his face, to your point. He's in a chicken suit. Yes, but he puts himself out there for at least the world to see. Yeah, and he's, I'd have to imagine, kind of like a local celebrity. Like, you recognize people. He's, he's a crazy Eddie type. Yeah, or like a, hey, what are my daughters going to do with all their scrap metal? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for those of you who live on Long Island, tell it a call, two brothers scrap metal. I'd recognize that, that guy. guy. Yeah. He's that guy, right? Presumably, he would not, in all likelihood, have stolen Woody and, and put it out there so blatantly that he had done it. 
because he tries to sneak Woody out of the yard sale. Andy's mom catches it, says this is a mistake, throws him in a cash box and locks it. He then draws up this tremendous distraction and then breaks into the cash box and steals the doll. Well, let's see. Who do you think stole it? From a public relations standpoint, this would be a nightmare. (laughs) Here's how I would have rewritten this scene if it was me. Right before they right before he finds him there's a little girl that finds woody on the sidewalk because woody has fallen off of buster right she goes to her mom and goes a cowboy doll can we buy this and her mother goes the doll's ripped and puts it on the table that's when al finds him it's at that point that she goes a cowboy doll can we get him that andy's mom maybe she's at the cash box maybe she's arranging something on the table you know maybe she's locking molly in the car right her ears perk up and turn and go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. He must be out here by mistake. Uh, the, he shouldn't be here. And then let's say Molly does something. She gets distracted and she just places Woody on the table. It's at that point that if Al sees this, Al should then have stolen him, put him in his pocket or tucked him away and gotten out of it because it's like, I got the doll and nobody knows who, who has him. Right. Nobody is going to be a suspect more than the guy on television <laughs> with nothing but his popu- his popularity, his reputation, and his business to lose. I know that we're supposed to establish the fact that he's a conniving character and he's greedy and you needed to drive the story forward. And I'm probably looking into this far too much and somebody is screaming at their car radio or throwing their iPod on the ground or screaming at their Alexa right now because I'm saying all of this. But I do believe that this could have been executed just a little bit better because for what is otherwise an enjoyable film with a good script and a good plot... This, to me, just stands out as, no, that would never happen. Not this way. No, and this is why we do what we do, because there are a couple of more glaring errors here that I'm not even realizing until you're pointing this out. Number one, not only did Andy's mother put Woody on the shelf the day prior, before she took him to cowboy camp, she went to get Wheezy that morning, so she literally just saw Woody up there. So it doesn't occur to you, like... Molly's either locked in a car somewhere or too short to get to Woody. So how did he get out there? Buster didn't get him down. Like, there's no way. So she doesn't even question it. Second of all, what kind of crooked guy are you that you break open the cash box? Why didn't you just take the whole box? You get the doll and you get like 50 bucks. Well, apparently this thief has a heart. Oh, God. At least that is what we are supposed to walk, walk away with, I suppose. That's a valid enough question. I also think that he was trying not to draw too much attention to himself. Right. Because you take there the entire cash pe- box. Yeah. It, there were other people there. So, like, you have to assume that somebody's going to see him making off with the cash. Yes. But nobody saw him break into the box. Come on. I guess not. I guess the 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 witnesses in the Tri-County area are not very good witnesses at all. It also didn't look like they had a lot of people at that little yard sale. True. But, you know, I, I digress. <laughs> I, that kind of went on longer than I expected it to. Um, <laughs> when we get introduced to the Roundup gang, at least for the first two to three minutes, I love how cultish they are. Yes. Because <laughs> Jesse 
just looks insane. She does. and She's got that glazed over, possessed look in her eye. Of someone who has been trapped in a box. And Joan Cusack does an amazing job of bringing that out. She sounds yeah. maniacal. Yeah, her and Kelsey Grammer were both excellent, excellent in this movie. Yes. Um, but I remember seeing this for the first time and wondering if Jesse was going to be a villain. Especially because they do frame her with the remote. Yeah. Um, what I really like about the roundup too is not just the show. Cause like I said, I think they did a really great job of capturing that era. Um, all the merchandise too. And it's kind of a little tongue in cheek because that's what Mickey was. And I thought that was really cool for them to revisit some of those old toys and then even do something really hokey, like the snake in my boots. That's like yeah. spring loaded. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, and, and just, again, a smart choice because them being collectibles, it raises the stakes and makes this more than just about Woody getting back to Andy because there's a serious consequence for these guys that he does care about now if he leaves them and breaks up the gang. Where this film is very successful is that they create many, many layers of drama. Yes. it's It, it starts with... Woody being ripped mm -hmm. and then Woody is stolen and then Woody is trying to get home and then he's trying to appease these other two because he feels bad for them three actually because bullseye as well um he's trying to appease them and then there's the drama of the rescue mission and then there's the drama of trying to talk Woody out of Japan and then there's the drama with the uh with with stinky Pete with the prospector like there's just so much drama drama after drama after drama where th like the more you the more you peel back the layer of of this onion the better the movie gets and i like the fact that a, it, very similar to the first film it's enough where a child can follow it and it's not over their head but they do a lot here where they do cater to the adults more than just the adult humor, mm -hmm. more than just the collector's item aspect of of being an adult and having your old toys as collector's items. I have them. You have them. It's also, you know, Woody is faced with, I don't want to say his mortality, but you can kind of see the similarities between somebody coming terms coming to terms with the fact that they and their loved ones or their pet or whoever it may be will not always be there and it's sometimes it's that splash of cold water when you're maybe a child and you deal with it for the first time right that they're able to bring that to woody but in a sense where it's it's on his level it's almost like Woody's growing up, too, in his own right, because in the first one, his biggest concern was they got lost and he wants to get back to his owner. This one, it, the idea is introduced that Andy is not going to play with him forever. Um, and it, you know, I think it was really smart to do this movie when they did, where Andy is still a kid and you still have some time left. But it's just like... Woody's really faced with the axe is going to drop, but he doesn't know when. Right. It's not like, you know, 
and he knows that eventually Andy's going to go off to college. And that's that's such a brilliant line, too, is when Stinky Pete is really trying to convince him not to go when he's like, is Andy going to bring you to college or on his honeymoon? Um, I thought that was just such a great line of dialogue. Um, and it kind of plants the seed for the third movie. Exactly. So Woody has a time frame, but it is, you're right, like a slap in the face because he didn't think this was going to happen so soon. And I love that it kind of plays both sides of the line because it's not just Andy growing up, but he's also, it. this really, the movie does really pack a lot of punch because it's also that he's broken. Right. And he just might be discarded altogether. Forget Andy growing out of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the nod that they placed to other Disney films, for example, and maybe I'm reading into things and it's not really there, though I would find it hard to believe. Um, Cowboy Crunchies, to me, canine crunchies. Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, when Stinky Pete in the uh, in the television show says, my biscuits are burning, Yosemite Sam from Who Framed Roger Rabbit says the same thing. Oh, didn't catch that. So I think that they very playfully dropped the little Easter eggs there that went more than just Pixar because when they're clicking through the channels to see um, the commercial for Al's Toy Barn, you see the tin toy. Yeah. Right? That was such a great Easter egg. Right. That the original Toy Story was based off of. Yeah. We talked about that last week that it was the short film where they that kind of planted the seeds for Toy Story. So I kind of felt that it was a nice touch that they expanded into a deeper library of Disney in totality, not just the Pixar stuff. Yeah, and I believe I, I'd have to go back and watch it again because I had I wanted to stop it last night, but we just didn't have enough time. I thought I caught a flick doll in the toy store. I could be wrong though, but it looked like he was sitting on on grass. Yeah, in I, a pile of things that got knocked over. I have to go back and see it again because I missed it. I missed it the what two or three times that we watched this movie in the last day and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see if he's really there. I like to um, not a Disney Easter egg, uh, but the Rock'em Sock'em robots. I thought that was a nice little touch in the office, and uh, they were voiced by Lasseter. He gave himself a little uh, a little short line in the film. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. Um, I love the introduction of Bullseye here. Um, I love his dog-like qualities. Yes. And I, I just, I enjoy his relationship with all the characters, but I like that we keep getting more about Woody's backstory. Yeah. He's more than just a generic cowboy doll. I know we talked about it before and him being a phenomenon, but... I thought that this movie did a really nice job of making the movie very Woody-centric because Woody is obviously a lead in the first movie, but I kind of feel like a majority of the movie is spent focused on Buzz. I know that it's the two of them together and they're trying to get back to Andy, but Buzz is the entire reason why the first film happened. I like that we see more range of emotion from Woody other than just jealousy. Right, and it's that tugging on the heartstrings and he's he's dealing with emotions that he's never had to deal with before. Right. Yeah, I thought that that was I thought that that was very creative. I thought it was a nice touch. I thought that it made for a very interesting sequel um because more times than not these sequels they they never really live up to the first film. Um Jesse's backstory 
is incredibly heartbreaking. Ugh. It's brutal. And I mean, I remember that that was the sequence that really stood out and stayed with me when I saw this in theaters. And, you know, this movie came out in 1999, so I was 13. So I was right on that cusp mm-hmm. of, you know, being too old to play for toys, but not necessarily wanting to part with them. I mean, at that point, I th- all of my Barbies were definitely packed away. Um but I remember the one thing that I had left, but it, w- it was interesting. It was that transition from toy to collectible. Uh, American Girl dolls were very, very big when we were kids. And my grandparents had bought me all of my dolls. And at the time, they were pretty expensive, especially by the time you got the clothes and the accessories and the beds and whatever. Um, what a scam, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> when you really think about it, what a damn scam. <laughs> No, it's so true. You got the book and then the dolls that came with it. And, you know, you, literally, you have to furnish a home you for, have- your, <laughs> for your toy. Right. No. And you have to keep them like in pristine condition. And that was the whole thing. Like I played with them, but like it was very careful playing. Um, but I didn't have the heart to just pack them away because my grandpa and I mean, I was very fortunate. I had a lot of time with my grandparents. It's not like, you know. I had lost one of them and needed the keepsake, but I just didn't want to do that with the amount of money they spent on these stupid things. I know, right? So they stayed out in my room. Oh, my God. I think until I went to college. They were there for a while. But anyway, yeah. uh, Jesse's whole backstory with Emily, who I'm really, I'm really invested in this idea of Andy's mother, and I hope that they address that in the first one. Uh, At the time... That was probably as gut punching as Up. Up definitely, that opening sequence, that definitely takes the cake for the saddest thing that's ever happened in a Pixar movie. Um, but this is up there with um, uh, saying goodbye to Bing Bong in, um, uh, oh my God. Inside Out. Thank you. Drawing a blank on it. Um, yeah, th- that, that, this was a rough one. Yeah, it's up there with Bambi's mother. Mother, yeah. mother, mother. It's, but the song is beautiful, though. And the song does so much for the scene. Ugh, yeah. We talked last week about how the music in um, in the original Toy Story, the way that Randy Newman did it, and the fact that it wasn't a musical yet, he was basically singing about what you were seeing on screen, but it not being too on the nose where it came off as cheesy. This is the only real musical number other than You've Got a Friend in Me, which you hear two different versions of in this movie. And the Woody's Roundup song, but that's different because it's on TV. It's not, it doesn't serve to be a musical. Right. Really does a good job of getting you, it it hits you in all the feels, right? And I believe it or not, this, first off, even if you're not playing with it anymore, and we've all had to, either get rid of toys that broke or we've donated some of our toys when we no longer play with them. Who would ever give away their favorite toy? Not your favorite toy. No, you you put it in storage somewhere. Although, as we learn, storage is almost just as heartless for a toy. Do you know, and this is the God's honest truth, and I, I still have, I mentioned it last week, my Ghostbusters, my Power Rangers, my Ninja Turtles, my WWF figures. Um, this scene, 
is why, and I swear this to be true, and I might sound selfish, and I'm sorry, I never donated a toy again. (laughs) Because of this scene. I never donated or sold at a garage sale another toy ever again. No, I mean, you're talking to someone who places far too much sentimental value on things to begin with. And I know that. Um, But yeah, especially at that age, at 13, it really messed me up. And, you know, it's not just the lyrics. It's not just Jesse's backstory, but it's the whole number. It's glowing and it's beautiful. And it's, it's got this golden like halo over it. So it, it really packs a punch. It sets that angelic scene. Yeah. But, I feel you. I mean, the only thing that you could make the argument for is that Andy's mother was trying to do the right thing, knowing that she was not going to play with this toy anymore and give that same happiness to somebody else. But then give it to somebody you know. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you just said Andy's mother. You're totally sold on oh, this. Oh, you caught that, did you? Yeah. That I lost. think, I think, I'm going out on a limb here. I think she got knocked up with Andy and that's why she's a single mother and she had to grow up super fast and that's why she gave Jesse away. That would be a very I don't I think that's a little too heavy for a Disney movie. But um did you see Up? Yeah, but Up was different. I I never to be honest with you, I never bought into Up as ever being a child's movie. The same way I never brought, bought into the notion that Wally was a children's movie. No, you can't snot cry at a movie like that and have it be a kid's movie. But I'm saying, I don't think, while it would be a very interesting storyline, and actually would be very good, I'm I'm going. I I don't think you could do that in in the Toy Story franchise. Nope, my money's on it. No, I I, uh, respectfully disagree with you. Would you care to make another friendly wager? We'll tell you that story another day. Um, No, you can't do that. I will bet you Victoria and Alberts. Okay, so here's the story, and then let's <laughs> we'll, we'll keep going with with um, this uh, particular review. Um, a couple of years ago, Jackie and I had a bet. Um, really stupid bet. Really stupid. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I'll be honest. It regarded a few of our friends who may be listening to this. These two probably don't. But we're gonna leave them nameless. But we're gonna Let's leave, leave them, them out nameless. Of it. But and it was a stupid bet. It was. It was kind of dumb because I was convinced of something the same way Jackie is convinced of this. And I, we had a Disney trip coming up, and we were at a stalemate. There, yeah. there was no compromising over this. We had a Disney trip coming up, and I was so sure that what I said was would happen was going to happen that I bet dinner on me at Victoria and Albert's to which I say there's a sucker born every minute and Jackie accepted. So is this, is this for real then you really want to put this on record? You really want to make this bet? Are we going that Emily is Andy's mother or with no. the whole enchilada the that whole, she's pregnant? It's, it's your whole it's thing. Victoria and Albert's. I, that's, that's fair. That is fair. So we're doing this you shake on it. Yep. Okay. We so, got to get a reservation, though. Now, here's the Our thing. dining is here's in. Here's the thing, though. Here's, here's the caveat, though. It's for this film coming up. It's for Toy Story 4. Well, it would have to be. Right. I don't oh, need, so if I they reveal need, that later, I'm out? I mean, it, I've already made good on it. You're, you're done. 
It's for Toy Story Four. All right, that's fair. No, and I will I will go in and say that if if Emily turns out to be Andy's mother, but is not pregnant, and that's not why she gave her away. That's okay. All right. All right. So we're <laughs> locked and loaded on this. I'm going to Victoria and Alberts. <laughs> I think this one's on your dime. <laughs> I'm taking it back. I was gonna. Don't anyone see Toy Story Four with us because there's gonna be rage in a movie theater. But with that being said, and and really, well, t- according to us now, it's twice in a lifetime opportunity. But you ever get to go to Victoria <laughs> and Alberts? In reality, it sort of is a once in a lifetime opportunity. But we bet on things like this. If you've never been, you really have to go. No, honestly, it is the best. Coming from somebody who has made a career working in food and beverage, this was by far the best food experience I have ever experienced in my life. It doesn't surprise me that it happened on Disney property. This is without question at the top of my list. No, honestly, I saw him sample things that I didn't think he would ever try with a 10-foot pole and rubber gloves on. Like, he was down to try whatever they put in front of him. For that much money, I'm eating it. Well, no, and that's it. Honestly, I wanted to sit there and gloat through seven courses because I just wanted to stick it to him so bad, but I couldn't. I It was just such an enjoyable experience. They had a harpist, and then, oh my God, she played Rainbow Connection, and I started crying at the table. It, it was awful. And then I cried at the table, but that was after they dropped the bill in front of us. <laughs> I was like, that's what I make in a week. Um, You are leaving the tip, though. I left the tip for you. Fine. Because I felt bad. All right, fine. That's that's like me winning a car on the Price is Right and saying, but you got to pay the taxes on it. Uh, okay, sure. All right. I'll cut you the check right now. No, let's do this. We're going to have to go look at dining as soon as we get off <laughs> off the air. How wonderful. Anyway, um, but yeah. We'll follow sad. up with that on Monoreal in a minute when we go see Toy Story 4. Yeah. You'll know because there's going to be tears <laughs> streaming down my face. Um, but yes, terribly sad backstory. Um. And again, more that a child can relate to it, but it's not going to hit a child in the feels the way it's going to strike an adult. I think they're going to recognize that it's sad, but they're not fully going to understand the range of emotion. Because I remember watching this movie for the first time when I was 13 and the movie came out and I went, oh, that's sad. And then I watched it again now, almost 20 years later, and I I was hardly keeping it together. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's It was horrible. I think that's why I kind of buried this movie in my mind, much like Andy's mom buries Jesse, because that scene sucker punched me so badly. But it was also different, because like I said, I was 13. I was getting into the makeup and hanging out with my friends. You know, they always say girls mature a little bit faster, and that's, that's kind of what was happening. Um, but yeah, I mean... Regard, I, I think this is one of Disney's best scenes as far as the combination of music, lyric, and emotion. Yeah, I agree. Um, I like the shot that they took, <laughs> and I, I really do think that they took a shot when um, tour guide Barbie talks about the short-sighted retailers that didn't order enough of the Buzz Lightyear toys. Yes. Because I remember when the first film came out, and it was such a craze and you could not get a Buzz Lightyear or a Woody action figure anywhere. Try as you might. 
In fact, the only ones that I ever had, I had three. Two of them came from Burger King. I talked last week about the one that came in the kids' meal, but then they also had, when the film came out, you could buy, and they were like $5 each, and I wish that, and usually my dad is good about stuff like this, but my dad invests in the wrong kinds of (laughs) uh, collector's items. For the mo- I mean, he's got a lot of you know very expensive baseball cards that are in mint condition, but they bought two Woody dolls and two Buzz Lightyear dolls, and they were like five dollars each, and they came in the packaging, right. and they opened them up and gave one, gave my brother and I each a Woody and a Buzz. He didn't go buy more Woody and Buzzes, but there's a china closet in my parents' house that if you open the drawer, he has not one. Not two, not three, but four watches that he got at Taco Bell in celebration of the release of Congo. Which cost about $4 each when the film came out. And I don't think you could sell all four of them for $4 at this point in time. Well, if we're sticking with this film, I am glad that Woody and Buzz were well-loved and they didn't remain in their packaging. Yes. But with all that being said, it took years before my brother and I had a Buzz Lightyear action figure. Yeah. Because you just couldn't get this stuff. No. It was like the Cabbage Patch doll. It was the Power Rangers. It was the Ninja Turtles. It was every every toy craze you ever saw. This film became a part of it, and I like the fact that they took the shot. No, and you know what's funny is that you would think that they would have learned the lesson because Frozen was that same kind of silent killer where you knew it was going to be good, but no one saw that coming. No, I no Frozen to me. I think you knew what this was going to be before the movie came out. It was the the first film. This this is. It was the first full I'm length. Talking about the phenomenon. I don't think anybody saw Frozen as a phenomenon until it was too late. Right, that's what I'm saying. I nobody saw Frozen coming. This you knew it was going to be big, but I right. don't think you knew like I, Toy Story Mania. They called it that for a reason. Yeah, that ride. Right. Well, anyway, um, do you have anything else on the plot that you would uh, like to delve into here? We're still on plot. We've we've kind of run into characters and music. Um, I I do want to talk about um because you were hitting on it before is is how many things that they did right. I think one of the other things uh, was bringing Zerg to life and actually giving him, you know, a body and a voice and making him a villain in this film rather than just somebody, you know, that's a figment of Buzz's imagination. Um, I, so I thought that that was really smart. S- one thing that they didn't do so great, aside from your issues with Al stealing Woody, um, I do think that some of this was a touch far-fetched. Now, we are talking about a movie in which toys are alive. So I understand we do have to suspend reality quite a bit here. Um, but it starts to me, when they go to save Woody, the road cones were a really clever gag, but it starts to get over the top with like the massive car accident they cause. And then 
same thing where they steal a pizza planet truck and they have the toys drive and some of them are working the pedals and some of them are steering uh which we didn't talk about too how funny the space aliens are in yes. that scene and they kind of uh you, you want to talk lives. about a cult <laughs> yeah we are forever grateful <laughs> and then i love the running gag that they stick with mr potato head and then they get home and mrs potato head wants to adopt them um but yeah the, the whole thing with the plane rescue I like how that works in parallel and they had to use, they had to draw from Woody's roundup to rescue Jesse, but you jumped out of a plane. The other thing is that entire scene is way too, way too long. Yeah. Way too yep. long. First off, yeah. Bullseye is not going to keep up with an airplane. No. Okay. That's first off. Secondly, in the amount of time it took Woody to convince Jesse to let go of the wheel, that plane would have been in the sky long gone. For sure. So, yeah, that was a little played out for me. Yeah, I would have been okay if we ended with Stinky Pete getting his comeuppance and then Woody just tracking down Jesse, you know, maybe maybe the big, uh, not necessarily twist, but like that last um, conflict would have been just before they load her on the plane and now Woody's got to get her out. I would have liked them actually to see them pull a Sid, maybe with one of the guys working baggage claim. They're already th tossing all your stuff around um, with complete disregard for what's valuable. So if Woody would have like <laughs> reached for the sky and then grab Jesse out of the thing and maybe expose themselves a little bit, I would have been perfectly fine if that's the world we live in too. Well, yes, but as I mentioned before, you kind of had to toe the line without it being a ripoff or a retread of the first film. And this this movie True. was able to do it just enough where it doesn't feel that way, and it really isn't. I mean, that's the truth. It really isn't. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was a little played out. I could have done without the whole thing. Um, we talked about... There's one song. We already talked about it. Um, we talked about the introduction of the new characters. Um, this was the final performance of Jim Varney as Slinky Dog. Yes. He did pass away a year after this film came out and you don't know you don't know until you know, right, what was going to happen. But I think that if you listen to Jim Varney in this film, you can hear in his voice how sick he was. For sure. Um and I, it's really such a shame because what I like so much about this movie is that they did give a bigger role to, you know, sort of your background toys from the first one and that it, it, you know, became a different kind of a buddy movie the way that they had to team up to go rescue Woody. Um, yeah, so that was a shame. And then, um, was it the last one for Don Rickles too? Or no, no he got the third one. He got the third one in. He did. So, um... I, I thought that the new characters that they introduced, they worked. Um, I like, I, I know that you needed a villain. And so Big Al is the villain um, in on the human side. But I like the fact that you also had the prospector as well. And it wasn't just the one that you had the two of them. And I, I they were both motivated the right way. I think yeah, they both really had the right had motivation. Three if you count Zerg, because that was a whole subplot. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think the way they pulled it off, by and large, uh, worked in, in terms of the characters. Yeah, and... Other than a couple of those tweaks I would have made. Yeah, I mean, the, the flaws that we found with it, 
in the grand scheme, not that big of a deal. And I think I would like to retract my statement from last week when I said that I'm really not looking forward to the sequel. I think that feeling comes from, I do love these movies so much. I feel like they told such a complete story. That's what I'm afraid is going to get ruined, is that it's going to be a reach in some aspects but I would be lying if I said I'm not happy to go and revisit these characters again because this this was so much fun well if it makes you feel a little bit better they did do a media release of the film it um, did yeah it did and uh I saw I reached out to our buddy John Sakari over at bigfatpanda.com and I said spoiler free is it worth the hype and he basically said Worth it and more. I want more. And that's all he gave me. But apparently, this movie's really good. And I think Lou Mangello said the same thing. He thought it was really good. Well, here's my the other thing that changed my mind is that everybody was so up in arms about Aladdin. And I said every week, I was like, give Will Smith a chance. We know it's not going to be the same, but like, stop complaining all that he's blue. Is yeah. Give Will Smith a chance. <laughs> No, but I walked out of that theater and I was like, wow, people are going to feel really silly about doubting this movie. And I hope that that is what happens to me with this. And then I get a dinner at Victoria and Albert's out of it. Well, at least one of those things is going to happen. (laughs) We know that much. Final synopsis on this one. I'll let you go first. Um as a sequel, and e- even if it stood on its own, I think it's solid. I don't think you necessarily need the backstory of the first one. I think you could pop this in and show it to kids now, and it still tells a complete story. This is a film that has the rare rating of 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, a lot of people will tell you that this is better than the first one. Um I, I don't think, think so. so. Um, I think that I think the movie's very good. Um, I think that as a sequel, it holds up. I think that as a standalone, it's very good. Um, it's just my opinion, and it's not to say that I don't enjoy the movie. I just don't think this movie has a lot of rewatchability for me. Between the two that we've reviewed so far, um, I am certainly more inclined because I have been over the course of the last 20 years, to rewatch the original Toy Story. And if I had 90 minutes to kill and somebody said, you want to watch Toy Story or Toy Story 2? 11 times out of 10, I'm saying Toy Story. Sure. But I think that also might be a generational thing because when that movie came out, it changed everything. Right. The flip side of that is it's not always like that with sequels because... Back in the day, when I had both movies on VHS, if somebody said to me, do you want to watch Aladdin or Return of Jafar? I watched Return of Jafar before I watched Aladdin. Yeah, I... uh, Until this came out, Return of Jafar was probably the best sequel. The only one that I was ever interested in, really. Um, But, no, I, I think this one is pretty near perfect. But as far as sequels go... um. You know, I I think it was worth doing. I think they took what was great about the first one and they built on it. And they, uh, I won't say improved it because, yeah, you set the bar incredibly high with the first one. Um, but 
you did it proper. You know, they did it a justice and um, they didn't exploit what they loved, what we love about the original. They it wasn't a cash grab. Um, they took their time and they told a great story. And it was just fun having our old friends and meeting some really great new ones, too. Yep. News this week. We got a trailer drop today for Frozen 2. Um, a bomb of a trailer drop, if you ask me. Yeah. I was not expecting that. They had announced it last night that we were getting a trailer drop, I think, during Good Morning America. Um, the movie looks good. Um, other than Elsa's in peril, it doesn't really show you or tell you anything more than we already are speculating on. Right. What really caught my attention about Now, given it, I've only watched the trailer once, so I could have missed same, something. Same, same. Uh, what really caught my attention about it, though, was that they go to a place that looks like Stonehenge to me. Um, and I just thought that that was really interesting because in every fairy tale we've seen from Disney so far, be it, you know, Cinderella, we know it's the countryside, uh, Sleeping Beauty, same thing, Beauty and the Beast, we know it's France. They've never given us something tangible as far as a location we know a country it can play take place in but we've never seen a place and if that's where they're going and they're like tying it to real life like that i i, I think that's a bold move we see a little bit of imagery uh you see that horse underwater and that's the thing like, i want to know what are these images what does all of this mean and i'm sure that it, there is a huge picture here they'll big picture it's all going to play into yeah it definitely has me excited to see it well like you have a choice um but i what i like about it too is i think so far it's going to answer a lot the the resounding question of the first one which never got answers is the first thing that troll asks in the beginning of the movie is was she born or was she cursed and she was born with these powers and we have no idea where they came from so i think we're going to get that answered which i'm excited about yeah so am i uh Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. Um, We will be back next week, of course, to talk about Toy Story number three in the big lead-in to Toy Story number four. Um, And maybe some of you would like to celebrate the release of the newest addition to this Toy Story franchise by, oh, I don't know, traveling down to Orlando and going to check out uh, Toy Story Land for yourselves, something we will be doing for the first time in November. Yes, if you would like to either see Toy Story Land or head on over to Pixar Pier and ride Toy Story Midway Mania over in California, get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.